You are listening to audio from New Life Foursquare. For more information about our church, you can visit us online at newlifefoursquare.org. The big why is what we're going to be talking about over these next few weeks. We're we're going to be in a new series called Mindful, and we're going to be talking about the why behind some of the things we do as a church. And today I'm, uh, I'm going to be speaking a little bit it's going to be more of a family talk than it is a, mess, a sermon message, okay? Uh, but I feel like there are times throughout the year where we just need to talk about why we, why we exist. And so this is what we're going to, to deal with today. We're going to talk about our existence as a church, why we're even here. Why do we, in general, gather the way we gather, do the things the way we do um, as a church? And for those of you who call New Life your home, this will be insightful. For those of you who are kind of, you know, maybe on the fringes or, you know, you're not so sure about this church, you're just here because your family brought you, and, but you like the vibe on Sundays, um, my hope is that you'll get something out of this message uh, in terms of just understanding the value, and we're going to say it this way, the value of belonging, right? Because our church, New Life, was born and was birthed with the DNA that I'll call belonging. How did that happen, Pastor? Some of you know the story. I tell it almost all the time. I feel like I tell it all the time, but for those of you who don't know, um, our church was birthed out of an, a Los Angeles gang that got saved. And uh, <laughs> these, were, these were misfits. These were kids that were trying to find a place of belonging and just found a place amongst themselves to fit in because if they didn't, they wouldn't survive high school. That's how it was back in the day in L.A. when you had to be in a gang to survive. At Fairfax High, you know, L.A. High, wherever you were. And so these guys got together, formed a gang, and, you know, they were a mixture. Filipino, Hispanic, Mexican gang members. Some, some of them were girls, believe it or not. But this group of misfits met Jesus in a miraculous way. And out of that group came this church. Like, that's, that's our rootedness. We didn't set it up for God to meet with a bunch of gang members in a house on Gramercy Place in Los Angeles and pour out his grace and love and spirit where you would walk in on meetings that were just wall-to-wall gang members singing worship songs to Jesus and that chose to forsake their gang-banging ways and follow Christ. That doesn't happen every day, folks. And I could probably, you know, my dad was the one who was in the middle of all that, leading that Bible study. I, could, I guarantee you he did not plan that out. God moved, and here comes new life. And so from the very beginning, what's been a part of our church has been this, has been this spirit of we're a place to belong. We're a place where misfits can find true belonging. Because you know what? Many of us have this need. We all have the need to belong, but we mistake belonging for uh, fitting in. We'll do anything to fit in, man. I'm telling you, we'll do anything to belong, right? To carry over the gang analogy, you know how you actually join a gang? You don't just go, can I just fill out an application? Uh, you know, send it to the gang leader and approve it. How do you, how do you actually join a gang? You've got to get jumped in. You know what jumping in means? It doesn't mean you just go. No, it means when you jump in the circle, they start beating up on you. Yeah, or they make you do something stupid. Anybody ever join a fraternity in college? Sorority? 
If you have, you know you've got to do dumb things, or dumb things will get done to you in order to join. We'll do anything that it takes to, to have a semblance of belonging, to fit in. But listen, belonging is not just a matter of fitting in. There's a certain responsibility involved in, in belonging, you know? We want to meet this need for acceptance and belonging, but we have to take, there's a certain part of it that requires our responsibility. I'm going to get, I'm going to, get to this, but I want to, I want to uh, kind of get there by way of telling you what our church is committed to in terms of shaping a culture of belonging, all right? The first thing that we're committed to is this, and you can write this down. The belonging that we believe is in our DNA is all about, first, the joy, say the joy, joy. of healthy relationships in God's family. Now, we all agree that, um, you know, joy is something desirable. Uh, some, our culture calls it happiness. Our society calls it happiness. You could, you could look up blogs from non-Christians that'll tell you uh, that, uh, you know, happiness is not found in all the stuff that you have. Happiness is not found in having more things, accomplishing more, more things, right? You don't need a Christian preacher to tell you that. That's just... That's just common knowledge nowadays. We all kind of know that. And yet, we're still all trying to find happiness in all our stuff and all of our accomplishments. What's going on there? What we're really looking for is joy. And joy does not come as a result of how much you own. And it doesn't come as a result of how much you accomplish. Joy comes, and they'll tell you this, from the quality of your relationships. When it's all said and done, when you're lying on your deathbed... You don't want somebody walking in the room reading to you all the things you accomplished in your life to comfort you on your deathbed. Is that what we want? Of course not. And you don't want anybody coming into you saying, man, let me read to you while you're about to die. Let me read to you um, all, all the stuff that you own, that you were able to purchase with your wealth. Nobody wants that. What do we want? We want the people who are closest to us, who care for us the most, to be around us. Isn't that right? Speaking life to us, connecting with us, showing care and concern. Joy is not a result of what we own and what we accomplish. Joy is a result of the quality of relationships that we work hard to maintain in this life. And it's not just relationships, it's healthy relationships. Say healthy. Life-giving. Your deepest disappointments in life are always in the arena of relationships. What's more disappointing? Losing a job or losing a spouse? What's more disappointing? Losing an opportunity to get rich or losing a son or daughter? What's more disappointing? Losing the chance to attend that prestigious university or losing a best friend. You see, we're wired for relationship, but the problem is we don't do it very well. And so here's the good news. God doesn't just want to restore our relationship to Him. He also wants to teach us how to do relationship better with each other. And how does He do that? What He does is He calls us and He invites us out of our spiritual orphanhood. Jesus said, I no longer call you orphans. You're not going to be orphans any longer. And he calls us out of this spiritual orphanhood and he adopts us spiritually into his family. We become 
his children, sons and daughters loved by God in his kingdom, in his family. Now watch, that's really great because it gives you a ticket to heaven, right? One-way ticket to heaven, Woohoo! hallelujah, get me on that glory train. But it's more than that, that in the family of God, we are, our task is to learn how to be truly family in the family of God, which means that we sometimes have to unlearn the stuff our, our biological families taught us because they're not necessarily in alignment with how things are done in the family of God. So some of us have learned how to do conflict a certain way, but in the family of God, it's done a different way. It's done in a more healthy way. Some of us haven't learned from our, our biological families how to set appropriate boundaries for our lives, and so we keep saying yes to everything. In the family of God, we learn how to set appropriate boundaries, because God is a God of boundaries too. Oh, no, 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 pastor, you don't get it. God, you follow God and sky's the limit. Okay, yeah, yeah, I get that. You go, you know, shoot for your dreams, whatever. But listen, God sets a lot of boundaries in the Bible. Thou shalt not. Thou shalt not. Those are boundaries. Some of us have a hard time managing our emotions or expressing our emotions, especially the negative ones. We don't do it very well. In the family of God, this is a place for us to learn how to do that. I want New Life to be a place where part of our discipleship journey intentionally addresses the places of our relational and emotional immaturity. Because all of us at some point or another are emotionally immature. And you can't be truly spiritually mature if you're still emotionally immature. Let me say that again because I think I confused myself. You can't be truly spiritually mature if you're not growing in emotional maturity, right? You know what that looks like. It looks like you being able to go home from a service like this or from having attended services like this for many months or years and truly listen to your spouse or listen to your kids, you see. Which reminds me, it was funny, the other day, I, <laughs> I taught my kids how to listen. You should try that sometime, it's really fun. But I didn't intend to. I was on the bed, and my, my two boys came up to me, and they were having a little argument, and my younger son is a little, uh, sometimes can get a little sensitive, so his response to most everything is to just, you know, kind of cry. Whatever that is, it's maybe, you know, youngest child attention, who knows. But anyway, he, he comes in crying, and of course, when he cries, my oldest son um, doesn't know what to do because like when someone else is crying, all of a sudden your, your, your goal shifts from how do I resolve this to how do I, how do I get them to stop crying, right? So spouses try that sometime. You know, if you don't know, just cry and see what your husband or your wife does. Uh, it's, so he, he comes in and he's like, Dad, I don't know what to do. He's because he's doing, and they're, they're fighting over this. And I said, you know what, guys? I was just sleepy that day maybe. I was just like, I don't know what to do. I'm going to teach you guys how to listen because you're not truly listening to each other. So I started practicing with them how to listen, like listening skills. So I said, okay, here, Colin, I want you to tell your kuya, Caleb, how, how your day went and what was the high point of your day. And so he starts talking. And I said, Caleb, I want you to tell Colin exactly what he said. Uh, Colin, I heard you say, da 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 Did you, Is that right? Colin says, yeah. And then he just keeps on talking and talking and talking and talking, right? And Caleb's like, how long does this go on, you know? And I'm like, okay, that's good. 
And then so now you do it, Caleb, to Colin. And so they're practicing listening. And it, by the time I got done, they were like, Dad, this is so fun. Can I practice with you? <laughs> and I'm like, all right, yeah, I'm sleepy right now. But yeah, I'm a high point of my day, teaching you guys how to listen to each other, you know. It's, it was just a, a step in the right direction in me guiding my kids in how to be emotionally healthy. You say, what does that have to do with the Bible? What does that have to do with being a Christian? It has everything to do with being a Christian. Because part of the goal of Christianity is not just to know the Bible, but it's to love people well. It's to love God and to love people well. And if you're not doing it well, then we need, as a, as a family of believers, to learn how to do it better. Come on now. All right, I'm done with that part. The joy of healthy relationships in God's family. We're committed to doing that. Um, let me skip that. The other thing we want to do as a church is provide, through you, all of you sitting down here, Christ-centered care for those who are hurting. This helps us create a place of belonging. We already do this to some degree. How many of you are in a life, well, you don't have to raise your hand, but if you're in a life group, you meet during the week in a Bible study type of uh, meeting, that's a place where you actually receive Christ-centered care, especially in times when you're hurting, when you're going through overwhelming stress in your life. You can receive that kind of care at a life group. So if you're not in a life group, you're missing out, all right? Big plug, shameless plug for life groups. We also have pastors here who are ready and willing to walk with you if you're hurting. But this year, going into 2017, we're also going to be creating something new a new opportunity for many of you first to receive Christ-centered care during times when you're hurting and you're going through gr uh, grief and depression and you're experiencing some kind of loss. It's called Stephen Ministry. We've already sent one of our pastors to get trained in this and he's going to be offering the training for this beginning in January. Most of us on the pastoral team are going to go through it and there are going to be some people sitting in this room who are going to say, Pastor, sign me up because I want to be a vessel of God's healing to other people who are experiencing these kinds of things. So this is what Stephen Ministry does. It's high quality. Say high quality. One-on-one. -on -one, confidential. Like it's safe, right? Christ-centered care for those experiencing grief, depression, and other stresses in life. So when, we're, when, it, when, when we get some of these folks trained, you'll be able to call the church and say, you know what, I'm going through stuff. Or... You'll be able to call the church and say, I've got a loved one that's going through stuff. Could we, we want to try out that Stephen ministry thing. And those who have been certified as Stephen ministers will answer that call and will build a one-on-one -on -one relationship to walk with those people who are hurting as long as they need them. And they're not there to give advice. They're not there to tell them what to do. They're there to listen, to be present, to love them through their grief and through their process. Stephen Ministry, God's love in action. I'm excited about this. You know why? Because some of you need it. But I'm also excited because some of you need to be one of these. God's calling you to take another step in how to be involved in the life of the church. And you care for people. You want to learn how to walk with people. You want to learn how to listen to people, how to, how to love people in Christ's name at a deeper level. Stephen Ministry might be for you. In fact, honestly, I think it's for all of us. It'd be great to see the whole church get trained in this. But this is what's coming, to create a place of 
belonging and care out of new life. Sound good? So two ways in which we try to create a, care, a place of care and belonging is we're committed to emotionally, emotional health as a part of our discipleship following Jesus. And then we're also wanting to train you to become a more effective spiritual caregiver or emotional caregiver, extending the healing love of Christ to those who are hurting. But lastly, and where I want to close today, is to talk about this idea of belonging as a personal responsibility. And to say it this way, that if we're going to become a place of belonging and live that out, what is really in our DNA as a church, every single one of us needs to take responsibility for our sense of belonging, our sense of worthiness before God. And see, this is, this is the, the beauty of the gospel, that God takes every single one of us in Christ. And because of Christ, He lifts us out of the shame and the condemnation. He lifts us into a position of righteousness, holiness, blamelessness, and irreplaceable value before Him. Really? Yeah. I'll prove it to you right here. Colossians chapter 1, I've read this before and I'm going to keep reading until it gets into us. At one time you were alienated, once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. Anyone can, can anyone relate to that? Yeah, there was a time when I didn't really care about God and I, was th I wasn't even thinking about God and I was doing stuff that I know God wouldn't like. That was one time at one time in my life. It says now... Verse 22, he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death, the death on the cross, in order to do what? Not just to forgive us of our sins. Watch this. So we always teach this, and this is true. Christ died to forgive your sins. Yeah, he forgives your sins, but something else has happened. There's been a fundamental shift in the way God looks at you when you come to Jesus. He takes you from where you were, not even thinking about him, doing stuff you know that would not please him, and he says, when you come to me, when you give your life to me, I'm going to take you from that place because of what Jesus has done for you. I'm going to put you into a different place. I'm going to lift you into a different position. And that position is called holy in his sight, without blemish, free from accusation. Nowadays, if you're on Facebook it's nothing but accusation, right? <laughs> we can live free from accusation in the sight of God. We can be holy and blameless without blemish. And of course, there's a big if here. It says, if you continue in your faith, established and firm, not moved from the hope held out in the gospel. You know what that hope really is? It's Part of it is, when I come to Jesus, see, I don't... I'm not just getting, like I said earlier, a one-way ticket to heaven when I come to Jesus. Something fundamental is, is about to shift when I come to Jesus. When I come to Jesus, my identity shifts. How God sees me shifts. And I begin to learn that I don't have to live my life out of my falseness anymore. God looks at me and he sees holiness, innocence, blamelessness, without blemish, free from accusation, because when he sees Christ, when he sees me through Christ, he sees a pure person. 
I find that really hard to believe, Pastor, because you don't know what I've done. And you don't know what I keep doing. But listen, if you were to relate, what would happen if you were to actually relate to God based on how he sees you? You know what we do? We mostly relate to God the way others see us or the way we ourselves see ourselves. And the, and the difficulty and the challenge of the discipleship journey of the Christian faith is that we start believing more. Say, believe more. Believe. Believing more what God says is true of us than what we think is true of us or what our culture tries to tell us is true of us. That's, that's the, probably the greatest challenge. So I want to nail it, sort of speak, into your, massage it into your brains and your hearts today. Because unless you embrace the truth of your own worthiness in God through Jesus, you'll never experience the kind of belonging you were meant for. It doesn't matter what kind of church you go to. It doesn't matter if you go to the next church down the street that does it sexier and better and all that stuff. It doesn't matter what kind of friends you choose that you think are going to help you. Listen, if you do not embrace the truth of your own worthiness in God's eyes through Jesus, you'll never experience the kind of belonging he wants you to experience. The belonging of knowing that you are a loved son and daughter of God. So, I want you to say this with me. Even at my worst, I'm worthy of God's love. And you're worthy because of, not because you deserved it, not because you earned it, but because of what Christ has done and because God's nature, the heavenly Father who has made us in his image, he looks at us as broken, as marred, as messed up, as chaotic as our lives are. God sees through all the distortions. He sees through all the masks that you wear to survive life. He sees through all the ways that you try to cover up your issues. And he sees past it and he loves the essence that he created, which is you, the most authentic version of you. And the goal and the, the discipleship journey that we're on is to try to get us to live out of that most authentic version of who we are in Christ. That's the deal. Remember the story of the prodigal son? There's an insight that I was reading the story this past, a couple weeks ago, and I, I, I saw this, and I hadn't seen it before. But if you remember the story of the prodigal son, you know, he, <clears throat> he goes to his dad and he says, Dad, give me, the, uh, give me the inheritance, right? Meaning to say, in the ancient world, to ask a father, if you were a son, asking your dad for the inheritance, it's like saying, Dad, I wish you were dead. So it, it wasn't a good deal for this kid to ask for the inheritance. But the father, shockingly, says okay. He gives him the money, he goes off, he spends it all, you know the story. And then he finds himself, the well runs dry, he finds himself in a, uh, a, farming, a farmer's uh, property eating pig slop. And as he's eating the pig slop, something clicks in his brain and he goes, what am I doing? Like, aha, uh -huh, ding. I don't need to do this. You know why? Because, yeah, perfect. <laughs> perfect. That was like a God sent, like, text message. 
I knew Jesus was in this room. <laughs> ding. Like, ding. I, why, why am I eating this pig slop? I, I have a father who owns a ranch, and his hired servants eat better than what I'm eating right now. So I'm just going to be real practical about it. I'm just going to be real like smart about this. I don't want to eat pig slop. So I'm going to, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going I'm to tell my dad this. I'm going to say, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. <laughs> I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. Here's what I want you to see. When he says this to himself, and he actually says this to his father when he sees him, he's right when he first starts out, right? This is what we all tell you to do. If you want to go home, if you want to come home to God, if you want to come home to where you really belong, then you start by confessing your sins. Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. But watch what he does. He goes from confessing sin to now declaring that he is unworthy. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son, which means that in his mind, he was associating his worthiness with his performance. As long as I perform well and don't sin, I'm worthy. When I don't, which I, I totally squandered my father's wealth, I disrespected our house and his good name. So that must mean I am no longer worthy, but watch, I'm no longer worthy to be called a son. Instead, what I'll do is I will settle for being a slave. And he rehearses this speech, I would think, all the way home. Father, I confess my sins. I'm not worthy to be a son. I will settle for being a slave. This is exactly where I see a lot of believers go. We get the forgiveness part. We understand that God will forgive our sins, but we keep playing the tape back in our head. That must mean that I'm no longer worthy to be called the daughter of God, I'm no longer worthy to be called the son of God. I will just settle for being a slave. And the heavenly father, oh, sorry, the father in this parable sits down and he watches his son from a distance come, and what does he do? He gets up out of his seat and he runs, and he... Instead of letting his son walk the walk of shame, which is what it would have been, the minute the hired workers would see this kid in the field, they'd go, oh, there's the dude. There's the guy who disrespected our house. There's the guy who spent his father's inheritance. There's the guy who wanted his father's dead. Let's stop what we're doing and let's just watch him walk with his tail between his legs and get the punishment he deserves. Because you know what? He is no longer worthy to be called a son. He could become one of us. <laughs> but the father does not let the son walk the walk of shame. He gets up right out of his chair, and he runs, and he embraces the son, and he says in that embrace, just because you dishonored my name, just because you disrespected our house, does not mean you are no longer a son, that your identity as a son is not contingent on how well you perform. Your identity as a son 
remains intact, and I'm going to prove it to you. He, he gets into his father's embrace, and he starts rehearsing the speech. Father, 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 father. Forgive me. I've sinned against heaven against you. I'm no longer worthy. Will it? Hang on. Before you say those words, let me just call. Hey, kill the cow. Let's put some, put some ribeye on the grill. We're going to party down because my son, who was lost, he didn't say, he didn't say my son is not worthy anymore of this. He said, he's still my son. He got lost, but now he's found. I wonder how many of you feel that you get lost in your relationship with God. Uh, who, who, and, you know, however it happens, you wander away, you squander stuff in life, you, you do start doing things you know don't please God, your Heavenly Father, and you come back and you just think, you know what, I'm just going to come back and I'm just going to settle for less. I'm just going to settle for going to church every week, maybe every other week, or maybe you even go further than that and say, I'll just settle for going to church on Christmas and Easter where no one can see me because <laughs> the church is packed, right? And you start playing this tape in your head that I'm really no longer worthy to be a son. I am, I'll just settle for being a hired servant. You're not. When you come to Jesus, you are an adopted son and daughter loved by God. And it doesn't change no matter how lost you get. So today, God's calling some of you home. You see, the son here, the prodigal, he tried to go back home and fit in as a slave. But the father said, no, no, my purpose for you is higher. You've always been a son. Come take your rightful place as a son in this house. I'll restore you so you can actually live it out in a way that brings honor instead of dishonor. Do you hear God's call to you today? No matter how far you've strayed or wandered, no matter how you got lost. And by the way, remember the guy had two sons, one who left the father's house, one who stayed in the father's house. You can get lost outside the father's house. You can also get lost inside the father's house. Because the son who stayed behind, he got lost through all the bitterness and through all the entitlement he was feeling. He missed his father's heart as well as the son who left. They both got lost. So whether you're in the father's house or out of the father's house, the call is to come back home. Not just to come find a place where you can fit in, but where you can truly belong as a child, as a son, as a daughter of a God who loves you and who thinks that your life is of extreme value. Got it? I was listening to a, um, I was actually listening to a uh, a teaching and reading a book, and it had the same illustration. There's a guy by the name of uh, a pastor in Glendale. He's not a pastor anymore, but he's a, he's 
kind of a prophetic dude. Uh, his name is Sean Boltz. He wrote a book called Translating God. And in that book, there's, an illust- uh, there's a story he tells of him going to Hawaii. And um, he, he was speaking at a conference in Hawaii. And the place where he was staying just so happened to be like a block from the red light district. So he comes home from this conference, and uh, he's hungry. And the only subway is like, you know, open near the red light district. So he, <laughs> he walks over, and as he's passing through... Uh, to get to Subway, he sees a guy uh, and a, a, a couple of gals and a, and a guy who call him to the side. And he's like, hey, so hey, man, do you want, do you want, you want, to, you want to smoke some weed? You know? He's like, no, no, I don't want to smoke any weed because that will make me hungrier, you know, type of thing. And, um, <laughs> and he goes, oh, okay. So the guy goes, um, well, do you want a girl? And the, pa- the pastor's name is Sean. He goes, he goes, uh, no, man, I don't want a girl. And he looks over, and he sees the girl that this guy is pointing to, and she's like a 15-year-old girl sitting on the corner. He could tell that she's brand new. She had never been touched. That she, maybe she, she was just starting out in the, in the profession of prostitution. So he goes, no, I don't want a girl. He, when he saw the girl, he said, but you know what? I want to, let me talk to her. So he goes over to her. He says, hey, how's, your, what, how's it going? What's your name? And she says, my name's Kayla. What's your, what's your name? My name's Sean. I'm a pastor. I'm a Christian. He's, and he says to her, Kayla, he says, uh, um, like, what kind of dreams do you have for your life? And she says, what do you mean? What dreams? I don't have any dreams for my life. And he goes, really? He goes, you know, I'm a Christian, and God talks to me all the time about the dreams that he has for me. And he even gives me, you know, allows me to dream about some of my own so I can fulfill them and, you know, and, and live out his best. He goes, he goes, um, do you, he goes, I believe that God has a dream for your life, and he can show you what that dream is for your life. He goes, why don't we, and before you, before you know it, he's asking her, he's telling her, hey, why don't we pray and let's ask God to tell you what his dream, what one of his dreams is for your life. She goes, okay. And so right there in the red light district, he leads her in a prayer, and he says, okay, repeat after me, God. God, I, I thank you that you love me. I thank you that you love me. Uh, please show me something that, that, that is in your heart for me, a dream that, you, that is on your heart for my life. And the minute she prayed that prayer, she goes, <gasps> and he goes, what? He goes, he goes I don't know. She goes, I, I heard I'm supposed to be a cook. He's like, what? Do you even like cooking? She goes, well, yeah, I kind of do. Okay. He goes, well, he didn't want to leave her on the street, so he said, well, let's ask God to show you what the next step should be now that he's given you kind of a portion of this dream that he has for your life. So she goes, okay. And by this time, the pimp guy is also like listening in. He's like, whoa, no way. He goes, all right, God, pray after me. God, God, um, what's, what next step should I take to start fulfilling this dream? What next step should I take, God, to start fulfilling this dream? <gasps> she goes, What? I'm supposed to call my uncle who owns a diner here in Hawaii. He's like, no way. He goes, I didn't know. He goes, yeah. Watch, watch this. Check this out. She calls her uncle, and her uncle and the auntie have been praying for her that she would come off the streets, that she would make the right choices in life. And the minute she called him and said, I'm, God told me I was supposed to call you. I'm not sure why. He said, because I, I think I, he, he has a dream for my life that he wants me to be a cook. And, and the uncle says, come on over. He takes her in. He 
employs her in their diner. She turns the place around because of her creativity. And a couple years later, she calls Sean and says, hey, guess what? My uncle who hired me, the, you know, the, the restaurant did great, the diner did great, they want to start another one, and my uncle wants to make me partner in a second restaurant. How cool is that? A girl who was looking for a place to fit in on the streets, but instead, because of God's dream for her life, came home to the Father and found the reason why, part of the reason why God called her to this earth and created her on this earth. Come on home. God has big dreams for you. There's big dreams in the heart of the Father for you. Don't settle for just fitting in anywhere you can feel a sense of acceptance. Come home to God. That's where it begins. And come help new life become a place of real belonging. Thank you for listening to audio from New Life Foursquare, located in Harbor City and Norwalk, California. Feel free to make copies of this audio to share with others, but please do not charge for those copies or change the content in any way without permission. For more information, you can visit us online at newlifefoursquare.org.